Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au. Predict Australia's score with a crystal ball. And it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals. All thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. 14 minutes past eight here on SCNZ Extra Time. And uh, Mark from Sydney has called through. Mark, how are you? It's been a while. Hey, Ben, how are you? Yeah, fantastic, mate. Yourself? Well, a lot better considering the fact that the Blackburns won over the weekend. I mean, as you know, I'm half Aussie, half Kiwi, and the Aussies haven't done too well, especially in the cricket T20 World Cup. The less said about that, the better, because I noticed that (laughs) not one Australian player got featured in their team of the tournament. Even Marcus Stoinis, who saved our bacon when it came to playing against Sri Lanka in one of our early matches by scoring the fastest 50, I believe it was, that any T20 player playing for Australia had ever done up to that time. So it's like, the less said about that, the better. So it's good to see the Kiwis got as far as they did, although I did expect them to win against Pakistan. They did a whole lot better than the Australian team. And it's great to see the Blackburns win over the weekend. About the only saving grace for Australian teams over the weekend was that we're through to the Rugby League World Cup final in England. Yeah, and for us, uh, less we talk about that, the better. But, Mark, how, how was the uh, Women's World Cup final? Uh, how, what, what was the kind of talk about it in the, in the lead-up to the match? Well, over here, it's been nothing but uh, praise for the Blackburns. That's because great. Everything about tactics, everything about skill on the field, everything about how they conducted themselves off the field is 110% positive. And very few, if any, Australian teams can hold a torch to them at the moment. They just were totally 110% class on and off the field, in my opinion. And a lot of people over here share that opinion too, especially expat Kiwis. Oh, that's good. And do you think that was kind of the highlight of your sporting weekend? It was the highlight of my sporting weekend, yes, because at least my New Zealand half could take refuge in the fact that Kiwi teams didn't let us down. Well, what, what, actually, Mark, while I've got you, what, what did you what did you think about the league uh, with with Aussie getting up over over the the Kiwis? Well, to be honest, I thought that was great. I mean, I'm Australian by birth, so I'll support Australia first and foremost. But if if New Zealand's not playing Australia, I'll support them. But I just thought, think the way that the Australian league team have conducted themselves right throughout the tournament has been absolutely great. I mean, they've um, had large margins they've won by. I believe one was against Scotland, for example. I think it was something like 82 nil. But um, there's been some narrow matches, and where they've been narrow matches, Australia's played really well to uh, get out of jail, as it were. And... Um, Yes, unfortunately, our rugby union team lost to Italy for the first time. So, yes, that was a bit of a downer on the weekend. But at least the All Blacks managed to beat Scotland. They did come back. I mean, I believe Scotland was ahead at one point in the match and the All Blacks came back and won the game. So they played really well too. So that's something to be proud of as well. I'll keep listening, Mark. I'm going to give my thoughts on that All Blacks-Scotland match very soon. But thank you so much for your call tonight here on Extra Time. Thanks, Ben. That's Mark there calling through from Sydney and it is 17 minutes past 8 here on Extra Time.
We're sticking over in Australia here on SCNZ Extra Time, but we're going upstate, or we're going down. I actually don't know my Australian geography that well, so I apologise for the appalling intro. But uh, Pete Fairburn, we're crossing into West Island anyway. Pete, how are you? Hey, how are you, Benny? How are you going, mate? Oh, it's pretty good, eh? I'm pretty good. We've had a very, very hectic sporting weekend over here, of course, uh, with the World Cup final, uh, the Women's World Cup, and, of course, the Kiwis, uh, they played uh, the Kangaroos on Saturday morning. Uh, I think that one almost slipped under the radar because of how much hype uh, there was around uh, the Women's World Cup. Uh, so I just wanted to start off, Pete, by asking, you know, for you and the people you associate with, you know, what was the, the talk of the Women's World Cup before the final? Yeah, look, there's been a lot of chat about it. I mean, I do I do work in, in rugby and I've got a lot of Kiwi mates who, who live over here as well. And, um, you know, so clearly, um, you know, I'm even more likely to hear about it. But certainly this tournament's been on everyone's radar. Um, I think people have been pretty captivated by the cultural impact it seems to have had across the ditch um, initially. But then when people have actually watched the footy, they go, oh, wow, these guys are really, really good. I mean... The story of, of New Zealand being the, you know, the plucky underdog of sorts, um, you know, with the revamped coaching panel and really coming home with their tail uh, between their legs after last year's tour um, to the Northern Hemisphere and, 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 you know, how quickly they've been able to turn it around to, to beat an England team that, that had the world record for the most consecutive wins. It, it's captivating. It's really interesting stuff. And I've even heard it used as, um, you know, justification for why uh, the Wallabies should look at, at making a move on a new head coach ahead of next year's Men's Rugby World Cup. Um, and, and I've seen Wayne Smith used as the example of it can work in this short space of time. So, um, look, it, it, it's been been awesome to watch. We're really, really excited to have that tournament here in, in 2029. And I know um, a few of our Wallaroos girls have signed over in the UK and are going to head, I think, three or four other girls are going to go and play for Harlequins. We've got our own Super W competition, which is, is going great guns over here. And I know there's a lot of excitement about potentially uh, New Zealand and Australia uh, coming together and, and Fiji as well um, in, a, in a women's uh, rugby competition, um, you know, a super rugby format. So there's a lot of excitement about, um, you know, the, the, the evolution, I guess, of women's rugby. But, you know, for, for the circles I roll in, people have just been blown away by the talent um, and, and also the game style and, and the bravery and, and courage and, and physicality of the contest. So it's been great to see and, and we're really excited to see. Obviously, we've got, our world champion Australian women's rugby sevens team. Um, our Wallaroos haven't quite reached those same heights, but but hopefully we see that change in the years to come. Yeah, hopefully, because it'll be great to get that, that competition, especially that rivalry really up between Australia and New Zealand. And we had Mark Robinson on, the New Zealand rugby CEO, last hour on our Blackfern show, and he, he pretty much... I would say he pretty much did confirm that uh, the, there would be a crossover at some point between our Super Rugby uh, Aupuki and your Super Rugby Women's competition. So it's really great to see that there are these uh, plans in place to try and grow the game a bit more and trying to keep that momentum going. Yeah, I think it's really, really important. Um, and, you know, we've obviously uh, you know, seen the benefits of the investment New Zealand rugby's made in female players as well. And, and I think there's certainly a lot of plans here in Australia to move towards um, you know, professionalism or semi-professionalism for women's 15s players as well. You've got to uh, walk before you run sometimes, and it's been a case of um, having that, that Super W competition evolve over you know, the last five or six years. I think we, we've got a head start on you guys by a couple of years there. Um, and, and hopefully, I think 2025, 2026, around that mark, they're hoping to have you know, a degree of professionalism in there, which would be fantastic. So it's an exciting time for, for women's sport. I mean, we, we know that 
you know, Australia really get behind, um, you know, our, our Matildas, our, our football team, the Australian women's cricket team are one of the most popular teams in the country. Um, we've all been enjoying watching the Gillaroos over at the, the Rugby League World Cup in, in England, and they had a nail-biting win against New Zealand in the group stages over there, and that'll heat up. But there's plenty of uh, household names in that, that Gillaroos team as well. So it, it really is an exciting time for women's sport, you know, in this part of the world. How many household names were in that Wallabies team on, on Sunday morning? Well, there are 11 changes, Benny, from uh, from the team that were pipped by one point um, against France the week before and had made some really positive um, you know, growth. And a lot of people were pretty worried about that heading into the fixture. I mean, Italy were really impressive when they dismantled Samoa the, you know, the week before. They had their first win in the Six Nations for a while against Wales this year. They are um, an Italian team who are stronger than what we've faced in years gone by. And a lot of people saw that 11 changes by Dave Rennie as a bit of a sign of disrespect. Um, you know, the counterclaim being that it's a five-game tour for the Wallabies this year. Final year before a Rugby World Cup, we've got to try uh, not only to make sure we don't burn players out by playing five test matches in five weeks in in the Northern Hemisphere, but also um, that, that we're, you know, testing different combinations and giving different people an opportunity to play themselves in or out of contention for that squad. But there was definitely a lot of concern when the team was named, and, and those concerns proved fruitful in the end. I, I think a really disappointing result for the Wallabies, if we should have won it, um, you know, a misconversion attempt that, that Ben Donaldson would, would like to have again, um, you know, at, at full time there, which would have got us the win. But in saying that, the Italians left a lot of points on the field as well. And um, again, we're talking about discipline with the Australians. We're talking about a 16 penalties against. We're talking about a, a yellow card, which I think takes us to 24 yellow and red cards in our last 23 matches, which... If you're giving the opposition sustained periods of time with a you know a, a um, numerical advantage on the field, you're not giving yourself the greatest opportunity to um, you know to collect the chockies. So I, I think it's yes, pressure you know should be on and and is on it, very much real pressure on Dave Rennie and, and his coaching staff now. But the players have also got to take a degree of responsibility around the discipline side of the game. There's only so much that. Um, you know, that the coaching staff can do to prepare them. Uh, at the end of the day, that they've got to make the right decisions on the field as well. Uh, quite a lot of, uh, well, actually all one-point results so far on that tour. Of course, 16-15 over Scotland. Blair Kinghorn missing that late uh, kick, which could have won that game. And then last week, 30, uh, losing 30-29 to France and then that one-point loss to Italy. And what is that? Is that whole consensus now? Do we do they do the Wallabies make that change before the World Cup and hope for a a, a similar like a Black Ferns esque effect, or is everyone prepared to ride it out with Rennie? Well, I think we need to know who that man would be. Right, yeah. I, I think that's the the critical component. You know, and and I've been an unabashed Dave Rennie fan. You know, before we hired him, I loved what he did at the Chiefs, and I was delighted when we hired him. And I think culturally, that Wallabies squad's in a pretty good place, but the the win ratio of 37% is is clearly not good enough. He'd be the first to admit that as well. Yes, there's been some some pretty damaging injuries at key points and some mitigating factors, but um, Sterling Mortlock, you know, Wallaby captain, great of the game, came out today and said, we're kidding if we think we're going to, uh, you know, we have any chance of winning the Rugby World Cup next year. And while we've had some peaks and troughs, um, you know, and certainly the Bledisloe Cup's been, um, you know, not, hasn't been in our possession for a very, very long time. But what we've always had is we've always had um, you know, a, a chance going into a Rugby World Cup at the moment. You're looking at it and um, you know, you, you're really worried about the Wallabies' ability to get out of the pool, um, which is one of the, you know, theoretically based on rankings, one of the weaker pools. But all of a sudden, winning against Wales and Fiji um, to get out of the pool doesn't look, you know, certainly by any stretch of the imagination. If Scott Robertson was available, 
you have to have that conversation. Um, I've heard people say, you know, um, trying to, to shake free an Eddie Jones for a 12-month reconnaissance mission could be, um, you know, could be in the best interest of both English and Australian rugby. I don't know if that's the answer, but um, certainly if, if the Wallabies lose to Ireland this weekend, and, and you know, Ireland will be the, the heavy favourites for that, and then finish off with a loss against Wales, to come away from the tour with one win through five would be, um, you know, be pretty hard for Dave Rennie to, to convince Rugby Australia that he's the man moving forward, you'd think. Yeah, I was, just, I was actually just going to touch on that Ireland game up this weekend. Uh, do you give the Wallabies any hope? Well, look, what I take um, as comfort is the way we performed against the French, and we're likely to see a similar lineup. Um, clearly, when the backs are against the wall, um, you know, the Wallabies have pulled off some massive wins when people have written us off over the years. So you go into every match um, you know, with with hope that, that you can turn things around from that point of view. We've got some very, very talented rugby players. There's no doubt about it. I mean, you look at a Taniela Tupo, you'd say you know, he's a game changer. You look at Lenny Ikatao in the midfield, he's had a phenomenal impact and clearly one of the form centres in the world. You know, Nick White, Bernard Foley, very experienced halves combo, have been playing pretty well together. Um, so there is talent there. Robbie Valentini, the eight, Michael Hooper in the back row there. Um, you, you know, Robbie Valentini's been, been superb this year and if it wasn't for a bloke named Savia, we'd be hearing a lot more about his, his um, quality in the back row. So I think that you go into the game with a chance, but you've got to execute your game plan to perfection and you've got to maintain your discipline. You can't go into a match against a team as clinical as Ireland and Ireland will take any points that, yeah, as we know, they, they won't hesitate to point to the sticks and, and take three any time they get the chance. So if, all of a sudden, if, you know, if, if they have three, four or five shots at goal that come from, from Wallaby indiscretions, we're not going to be able to score enough points against them to get the win. It's as simple as that. So I'm not writing the Wallabies off by any stretch. I, I think we are capable, but I think that you know time has really come uh, you know to to really focus on that discipline and 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 really front up in that sense. Another Australian team not doing so good at the moment was the Aussie T20 team missing out on the semi-finals of the World Cup over there. So how painful was it to see England lifting that trophy? Well, look, I think it was it was expected. England have been, uh, with the exception of that defeat against Ireland, they've been the best team in the competition. But at the same time, I think uh, yeah, everyone decided pretty early doors over here. If it wasn't going to be Australia, Pakistan was a great story. You had Matthew Hayden and Sean Tate, the wild thing, as part of the Pakistan coaching staff. Um, and, and I guess Pakistan getting that late reprieve when the Netherlands upset South Africa and sent Pakistan through. Um, and, and I think that the Aussie, the Aussie public in general, we've got a big, um, you know, Pakistani uh, expat supporter base over here. People have travelled, um, you know, a long way to, to come and watch their, their team play as well. So there was disappointment that we didn't get um, a closer final, I think, and, and that Pakistan probably um, got a little bit overawed on the big stage. In terms of our own performance, there's a real lack of connection at the moment between the Australian public and the Australian cricket team. And, um, you know, clearly... Uh, with the, the removal of Justin Langer as head coach last year. You know, there's a lot of people who um, would be of the argument that, that that demonstrated that player power had gotten out of control and that this Australian cricket team, you know, it, this current generation of Australian cricketers were a bit mollycoddled and, um, and JL was the man to actually give them some honest home truths. I personally don't subscribe to that theory. I, I think that, that Justin Langer's intensity had, had actually... Um, you know, gone too far for that team and, and that he'd, he'd lost the room. And once you lose the room, you can't get them back. And I would actually rather you have a playing group speaking up about that. But the reality is, 
um, in Andrew McDonald, we do have an unproven coach in, in the role now um, and, and really disappointing white ball form now. Um, a home a home semi-final uh, you know, w- would have been the minimum expectation, I would have thought, going into this World Cup. And, um, you know, Glenn Maxwell's now broken his leg over the weekend at a, a 50th birthday party and he'll be out for three months. We've got what seems to be a pretty um, pointless uh, one-day international series against the English kicking off, I think, on Thursday. So it's just so much cricket being played before, um, you know, the, the the summer against the West Indies and South Africa. So, um, yeah, look, we were flat. We were disappointed. Um, we wanted to have an impact in that tournament playing at home. Um, but in saying that, I think that the general apathy towards that team and, and towards perhaps that format is shown by the fact that, you know, India and Pakistan were getting huge crowds for their matches. But you know, Australia, we're, we're playing games, you know, in our home country with, with half-empty stadiums. I think that kind of tells you plenty about the team at the moment. I was actually going to touch on uh, the Glenn Maxwell injury. What's kind of the reaction been to that to that injury, which has been described as a freak accident? Well, it's interesting because Maxie's been kind of in the gun a little bit over the last few days. He made some comments, um, you know, after we were knocked out of that T20 World Cup, which essentially said, oh, you know, we'll pick ourselves up and go again. It's not the end of the world. And some people really jumped on those comments and said, it's a World Cup, mate. What do you mean it's not the end of the world to be eliminated? You know, you've got to, you, you've got to demonstrate, um, you know, it, it, more of a way that, you know, how much this actually really hurts and, and how much, um, you know, you're going to stew on this. And then the counter-argument to that was he was just demonstrating that, you know, T20 cricket, we play too much of it and, and that the players are a bit burnt out. So this was kind of all bubbling around in the background. Now, it won't uh, surprise you to know, Benny, that a lot of the people who thought what he said was really out of line are the same types of people lining up now to say, well, clearly he, he's gotten himself, you know, he's had too much to drink and he's he's mucking around and he's, he's injured himself and now we all suffer off the back of it. So there are plenty of people lining up to take pot shots. I think for me personally, it's disappointment. We're really hoping to see um, Maxi play some red ball cricket over the next six or eight weeks and put himself in the frame to tour India for that test series in March. And um, a lot of people here, myself included, feel that... that Matt, uh, let's not forget, Glenn Maxwell's got a test century in India, um, one of the toughest places to play anywhere in the world. And a lot of people here thinking that he's never been given enough of an opportunity um, you know, to be a real game-changer at test level. Uh, you know, Our version of Ben Stokes, if you will, um, you know, an underrated bowler and a game-changing batsman on his day. So... Real disappointment that yeah you know, he's going to be fighting to, to get back and, and really put himself in contention for that tour, I would have thought. I've been trying to put this off, but I can't anymore. What about that? Uh, rug- what about those Rugby League World Cup semi-finals? Of course, Australia pipping uh, New Zealand in an absolute thriller, but then Samoa somehow <laughs> beating England. And I say that because we go back to the opening game of the tournament when England put 60 on them, and then there was all the talk about Matt Parrish and some of the stuff that he's done, and that's why the playing group isn't going so well. But now they're in a World Cup final and be playing Australia. Yeah, look, it's unbelievable. Um, Firstly, I'll touch on the the Kangaroos and the Kiwis game. and um, Real credit where it's due, because I don't think anybody, uh, including the Rugby League World Cup tournament organisers, had already nominated that that the Kiwis were going to be on the flight home, which was uh, about as bad a read of a situation as I've ever come across. But I don't think anyone really thought the Kiwis were going to put up that much of a fight. And what what actually eventuated was one of the greatest games of rugby league I think we've ever seen. Um, yeah. And I don't say that lightly, but I think if that game had been played in, in prime time in Australia, we would have all been talking about it for three or four days, you know, weeks. Um, I, I think the fact that the tournament's being played 
on the other side of the world and, and in the middle of the night for us has led to less um, conversation about it. And the other thing is that there has been so much positivity around, you know, the island nations and even you know, teams like Lebanon who who've caught, um, you know, caught the eye of people um, during this tournament. Nobody predicted Samoa would be able to, um, I, I guess, become a, a 60, 70 point better team in the space of, of three weeks. It's just remarkable. And I think it just goes to show you, um, you know, how quickly the, you know, the wheel can turn. And, and if you have quality players and quality individuals involved, um, you know, the, the ability they have to, to learn quickly and adapt. And it, it goes back to why I still think, you know, the Wallabies have to be given a chance against the Irish. If you've got quality players there, um, you know, you, you take your medicine and, and you get back on the training paddock and, and try and work things out. I, I think having five Penrith Panthers players in that Samoan squad, clearly players who, who know and have learned how to win, they know each other's game. There's genuine cohesion. And, um, you know, in, in Crichton, Luai and, and, and Toto, three absolutely unbelievable footballers there. Um, and, and while no one's giving Samoa a chance this weekend, um, a, a, again, I think, um, you know, you, you, you've just got to give real credit to them that they've been able to um, to do something that, that no Pacific nation's ever done before or no Tier 2 nation's ever done before. And um, they beat a really good England team, an England team that was certainly worrying fans of the Kangaroos um, and, and I, I think it's just great to see for the game of rugby league. The, the big question now for me um, is you know you look at, at someone like a junior Paolo who who plays state of origin and, and plays for Samoa as well and uh, I, I think that's fantastic I think in the multicultural world we live in to give somebody like junior Paolo or, or Brian Toto or Jerome Luai the opportunity to represent um, both their, their heritage but also you know where they've grown up in, in the case of New South Wales is really important, and international rugby league continues to grow and develop and have a wider footprint. Um, you know, through through strength being um, you know fairly kind of um, you know distributed across these different nations. So, I'd love to see you know Kiwis, English um, players from other so-called tier one nations being eligible for state of origin as well. And I think um, you know we, we need to move away from someone like a Victor Radley having to decide if he's going to play for England or New South Wales. Because I think it's it's pretty unfair that Jerome Luai, for example, can play for Samoa in the Blues, but Victor Radley can't. Or you know some of these guys playing for the Kiwis who have also got really strong ties to New South Wales or Queensland. I think that's the next obvious thing that has to be addressed. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting, Pete, in terms of a bit similar, I guess, to the the women's rugby world cup in terms of how what is the plan going forward now to try build on the success of what Samoa have done and in some of these other smaller nations as well in uh, making their work, playing at the World Cup too. Yeah, absolutely. What's the legacy going to be, right? I think that's really, really important. I think, um, you know, we've been been very lucky to have, you know, all these different World Cups on at the same time. And I think they've all shown some really interesting, um, you know, changes of direction or strategy need to take place across all these different sports. You look at cricket, you know, there's a lot of calls to reduce the amount of international T20 cricket and maybe leave it as franchise-based, you know, most of the time and just play a World Cup every four years. You look at, at the Women's Rugby World Cup, what's the... Um, what's the legacy of that tournament going to be, not only in New Zealand, but um, you know, around the world in terms of investment in the high-performance programs. Rugby league as well. Um, you know, really, um, you know, what are we going to do to make sure that, that Fiji, that Papua New Guinea, that, that Ireland, that Scotland, all these other teams that have the potential to get better, get that opportunity? So unfortunately for the administrators of these tournaments who are probably looking forward to a week's holiday and turning the, the phone off, I think the hard work really begins now. And, you know, across all of those codes, really, they need to, to act, you know, swiftly and decisively to, 
um, you know, to gather all the learnings and, and, and look at what's worked and what hasn't and, and look at, you know, what their strategic direction is over the next decade and, and start making moves immediately to, um, you know, to show that they can be pretty agile and take learnings out of, you know, what have been three pretty fantastic tournaments, um, all in different ways, though. Peter Fairburn, I could not agree more, and thank you so much for your time tonight and joining us here on SCNZ's Extra Time. Always a pleasure, Benny. Take care, mate. That's Peter Fairburn there. We talk to him most most weeks when we can over in West Island. I still haven't, don't know off the top of my head if Queensland's above or below New South Wales. I'll figure that one out very shortly. But we are 22 minutes away from nine here on SCNZ. Coming up after the break, we will touch on the All Blacks win over Scotland.